Hello and welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, we have a, a great show planned for you. And if you are new um, as a listener, I just want to encourage you, if you want to hear the beginning of where I started reading uh, the parable, um, it's about 10 shows back, uh, looking about in October. Um, today, when I start reading the parable again, you are going to hear right from the start uh, the voice of love and the voice of destruction talking about our main character and his wife and what they're going through. Um, and just so you are aware of where we are in the story. Um, but our special guests today are Phil and Lizzie Church. And Phil and Lizzie are a young couple. Uh, they are married for almost 12 years. They have four adorable children. And one of the reasons that uh, I'm so excited to have them be in this conversation today was for you to hear how this couple has chosen to live their lives in many ways counterculturally um, in a day and age when all we hear is negativity, um, uh, all we hear is about what's wrong with um, being married and having a family or, or just what's wrong with church, all of the things. But in this conversation, what I want my listeners to hear is what is what is at the heart of their flourishing lives. And you're going to get to know them just for a little bit. Phil is the worship pastor at Sunset Presbyterian Church, and uh, we have uh, quite a history together. But I also just want to make let my listeners know that this Zoom call that I had with Phil and Lizzie, we just had uh, so many different uh, technical difficulties. So you're, there's a couple breakups in here. If you just hold on and are patient, it gets gets through to it. So I apologize in advance for that, but uh, it's just how it is. The internet went down, but we figured out how to get back on. So once again, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Chapter 19, a conversation between the voice of destruction and the voice of love. Voice of destruction. I told you I was accurate. David is a fraud, and his wife Amy is the real failure in this scenario. Look at them pitifully weak, covered in sin and shame. You see it, don't you? I can hardly wait for them to head home and be alone together in their filth. Voice of Love Look now at what's happening. My spirit is hovering over what is mine. David, Amy, and Diane. Mercy was revealed the moment my name was spoken. Voice of destruction. Doubt, depression, melancholy, unclean, self-hatred, pity. Voice of love. You can shout all you want, Satan, but I already responded in spite of the brokenness. Look how they've done nothing but turn toward me. Voice of destruction. Wait. I see Amy feeling less than successful than the other two. She despises herself for what she has done for these 18 months. Oh, this is good. Her self-perception is that she can never be as spiritually along the way as Diane or even David. Voice of love. Too late. Once in my throne room of prayer, those who belong to me are all equal at the foot of my son's cross. No one is greater or less than another. I silenced your condemnation in a match I already won.
Chapter 20 Before Diane finished her prayer for Amy and David, she paused for a few silent moments. Everyone knew it was a sacred space. Suspended in midair, David saw for the first time the equal ground in which the three of them stood shoulder to shoulder, the drifter, the deceiver, the determined. Not one soul was greater or less than the other in the presence of God. And I ask these things because I can, in your mighty name, amen, Diane closed the prayer and looked up smiling, thanking the two of them for sharing this moment with her. Diane, what do you think about Amy and I meeting with you again in a few weeks? Before Diane could answer, Amy slid her chair back and cleared her throat. Uh, David, I'm not sure I want to approach our marital and life struggles like this anymore. At first, David tried to hide any disappointment in his voice. Okay, do you, do you, do you have an alternative? Uh, just say what you're thinking. Twenty minutes later, the two of them were back at home without Diane to mediate for them, and David had no idea where she was going with this. Amy, David said quietly, what's wrong? You seem like there's something else entirely going on. Amy took a deep breath and looked up at the ceiling. To be honest, these past few days have shown me some things about myself I've never seen before. Like what? David asked with a sense of dread. I've been thinking a lot about these past few days, even months, how I can be a better person. I knew immediately what I did was wrong and that I should have brought you in as soon as I couldn't handle things on my own. David walked closer to her. Why didn't you? What held you back? I just cannot forgive you, David, for being so distant all these years. It's so hard for me to let go of the resentment. David was suddenly very tender. I, I'm not the same man I was a few weeks ago, Amy. Please, please, please forgive me. Amy looked at David and could tell he was speaking from his heart something she hadn't witnessed in more years than she could count. I forgive you, David. I really do. But I cannot shake the layers of disappointment I feel for years. I feel for years you didn't do your part. Weakened by her words, David sat down in the nearest chair. Amy, when will I ever please you? You just cannot stop fixating on my imperfections. Have you forgotten all the good that God has given us in our family, our jobs, our friends? Amy didn't speak for a few seconds. I don't want to bring God into our failures and mistakes anymore. As I've reflected on things this week, and if I'm to act from my most authentic self, I see myself doing okay without him, David. I have peace about taking charge of my own life. Do you think maybe you're taking this God thing a bit too far? David, incredulous, saw how Amy was getting in her own way and wanted to say so, but decided to let her stay in her overly critical, highly compulsive lane. He could tell she had made her decision. The truth is, David, you don't care as much as I do. I'm the one who had to take over everything in our family while you were indulging in self-pity. Suddenly, the old familiar voices taunted David, saying to him in his head, You are still a failure as a husband. David didn't take the bait this time. No one's perfect, Amy. I told you I was sorry, and I completely own my mistakes. 
You even said yourself that we made mistakes together, but I am accepting the fact that I not only want God in my life, I need him to live this life and be whole, to find relief from so much pain, don't you? Amy gave her smoldering resentment permission to seep out. I don't want to go on this journey with you, David, because I know this spiritual phase will pass and we'll be right back where we were before. I can tell you've made up your mind, Amy, and you won't reconsider, and I won't try to convince you, David said from a new place of freedom. Amy sighed. Good. Thank you for not expecting me to turn to God, give him permission, or to distinguish between some voices. I'm pretty sure I know my own voice when I hear it. David couldn't believe this intelligent, beautiful, ambitious woman standing in front of him was choosing to not turn to God so easily. As strongly as he wanted to plead with her to prove what he'd experienced with turning toward God, letting God do work and discerning these voices, he knew that wasn't his role in his wife's life right now. He just looked at her with profound acceptance for who she was. He loved her. And he knew with every fiber of his being that he was on the journey of accepting himself, his most authentic self with God. Amy broke the silence. Hey, I I need to go pick up the kids from school. If you have time, can you run to the store and pick up what we need for dinner tonight? The list is on the fridge. Then before she walked out the door, she added, I'm sorry I'm not on board with all this, David. It's just not my thing right now. And as she started her car, David heard the lies of being a failure as a husband again, but this time he knew something he hadn't expected. It was now a lie for a different reason. His own wife wasn't fully free or whole, and she didn't want to be. David whispered a prayer to God in his heart. What kind of husband am I now? How does my faith matter or make a difference when my wife is not turning to you? Chapter 21. After putting the groceries for dinner in the fridge, David texted Ben to see if he had time for a last-minute workout this afternoon. Ben texted back almost immediately. They were going to meet at the gym in 15 minutes. David recapped the last two days with Amy, and after their laps around the track, Ben said something that gave David consolation he hadn't felt in weeks, maybe even years. Hey man, just because Amy isn't following you and turning toward God and wanting to know him doesn't mean you failed as a husband. But how do I grow and love someone who's choosing a different spiritual path than me? David asked with pure concern for his wife. She's convinced she's being true to who she really is. Don't believe a new set of lies about yourself after coming this far, Ben said with an air of confidence that was new to David. Remember, this is about your spiritual transformation, and even if your path becomes more difficult, doesn't mean you did something wrong. But how do I share how God is speaking to me and working in my life with someone who doesn't share the same beliefs? David, you are asking all the wrong questions. Do you really want Amy to just go along with you and fake her spirituality so she can make you feel like the two of you are close? Even I know from training college athletes, the ones who fake the healthy eating and mispractice but still want to compete won't ever win in the end. My best athletes commit from the core of who they are. So are you saying that even if Amy doesn't make the choice to follow God, it's, it's not a reflection of my failure or success? 
Of course not, David, Ben said with more volume than he intended. Once you stop expecting Amy to want her faith to look like yours, you will be set free to hear God's voice again like you told me before. David's spirit resonated deeply with Ben's words. He knew he was right. And you know what happens when religious people expect everyone around them to be the same? Legalism, judgment, condemnation, critical spirit. Man, I won't want to be around you if you start that stuff. Suddenly, David had a strong desire to talk with Amy again. He knew Ben was right. If only he could keep this sense of confidence when he was with Amy. Before he talked with Amy, David knew he needed another conversation with someone. All right. Welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I'm here today with Phil and Lizzie. Welcome, Phil and Lizzie, to our show. Thanks for having us. us. Um, You guys look amazing. You are smiling. And and tell me again that you have been married for how long? We have been married for 11 years. <laughs> 11 years. Right? Yeah. It's going to be 12 in the 2009 yeah. is when we got married. Yeah. I, I, still, I still shake my head because <laughs> I was there that day. It was a joyous occasion. But how did you two meet? Okay. We actually met in high school when we were 13. We became <gasps> friends. I know. It's like yeah. <laughs> we, we were children. And we've we were best friends for a very long time. And then finally... Our senior year is when we started dating and so oh so you were friends first that's good to know we were the very best friends we were people would always say do you guys like each other but we honestly were just best friends we yeah. knew we knew the best and the worst about each other before we even started dating so then after that just kind of worked out <laughs> that's great and so you met and married was it right after high school i can't remember exactly but it was or was it a couple years after yeah we were 20 when we, we 20. got married okay Okay. So it was like a couple years after. Yeah. A couple years after. Okay. Well, and so now here you are. Um, and I I know you right mostly through Phil's mom, Lisa. I mean, that is just how I have known most of you. But I also got to know you a little bit, Phil, as you gave music lessons to my children. And that was just such a gift for sure. But you two the Me reason too. I invited you, do you remember those days, by the way? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember them fondly. Yes, they were awesome and so fun. And do you remember God, when God was you the playing the drums, yeah, just rocking it. Who played the drums? Gabrielle. Oh, was it Gabrielle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Annalise played guitar and Michaela played piano. Um, yeah, and I think I taught a little bit of everything, but Gabrielle was just like rocking it on the drums. <laughs> I have to remind her that she did. Yeah. I just remember when you called my name and you said, Pam, there's something on fire in the back of your house <laughs> and the grill was on fire. Oh Do you remember gosh. That? Yeah, yeah. If you're okay going there. Yeah. <laughs> and Brad it ran down. I think he had, he was maybe taking a shower. <laughs> ran downstairs in like a robe. <laughs> So, so you know what life was like before you ever had children. Yeah, exactly. That's, that hasn't happened to us yet. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear. You're probably anyway. All that to say, anyway. we, we've got a great history together for sure. Um, so I, I was wondering if there's any chance you could give us each of you could take a few minutes and just talk a little bit about how you came to faith in in Jesus 
you know, what that was like for you. Sure. So first I was going to say, we now have four children, but that's a big part of my faith journey. So we, well, I also I'll start with myself. We were both fortunate enough to grow up, you know, in a church community. My parents always took me to church. So I was very fortunate to grow up with that foundation. And I never once like didn't believe in God. I always believed that God was real and everything that I learned about was true. But I think when you become a grown up, at least for myself, it's like, there's Lizzie, why don't you tell us about your faith journey? Well, I was very blessed. I grew up, my parents are believers, my grandparents were. So I grew up in the church. I grew up learning all the Bible stories. And, you know, I was, my parents were really good at encouraging me to memorize scripture. And that's something that I've carried with me up and, you know, know, till now I teach my kids to memorize verses. I think that's really important. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm the one, which means I have, are you familiar with it or not? Very much. In fact, I okay. teach workshops on it. <laughs> okay. So I'm the one. You're a one. So a, yes. So that inner yes. critic is very strong in me. So I don't know exactly. I don't know why, but so growing up, I had an understanding of God, but I really, um, I, I kind of saw him as like a tyrant. It's kind of how I, my whole life kind of viewed God up until I got pregnant with my first child. And I think at that point I had to ask myself, like, do I believe in this God? Do I believe everything that's been told to me? Like, is that, is that what I believe? Or is this just something I've been told? I think it maybe everyone comes to that crossroad that happened to me and I, I just happened to be pregnant. Um, and that's when I like had that first, like real personal, just for he revealed himself to me. Like I would have visions at night and I, I heard his voice and I would say that is the moment when I became like, I, like he was mine and I was his, it was in that moment where, I don't know, it's kind of like everything else kind of fades away and you have to ask yourself, like, do mm-hmm. I believe this? And for me, it was just, it was this very powerful moment where I know it sounds dumb now that I've had four kids, but they were going to induce me and I didn't want to be induced. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to be induced, but I believe you. Will you please break my water? And I like literally said to me, he said, like, he said words this was the time yeah. when I heard him first. He said, okay, but I want you to rest first. So I went to sleep and then I, I could like feel God's hands moving my belly. Yeah. And then I heard his voice clear as day in the morning. He said, are you ready? And I woke up and I tried to get out of bed, but my water broke like right there. And it was like this powerful moment that has stayed with me forever. Like I felt the hands of God and I heard his voice and he like gave me a lot of visions during that time about, you know, like I struggled with the idea of being a mom, like, how am I going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he like came to me and talked about how the shepherd there's some things that only the shepherd can do for his sheep. And he's that whole philosophy of, of him as the shepherd and how gentle he is. It has carried me through that's the rest crazy. of my life. I yeah. just, that's, that's, that was my story. So oh, I now, love that though. And so many people can relate to that, that fear when, you know, yeah. when you're about to have it be entrusted with a child and that's beautiful. And you experienced him. You weren't, you were taught him, but you experienced him. I did. I, and it's like, I had to choose to let him in. And that was that moment for me. So that was my story. That's, that's beautiful. What about you, Phil? Well, her story is way more, (laughs) is way cooler than mine. (laughs) No, no, no comparison in our faith journeys. (laughs) Well, it is pretty cool, but, um, 
I, I also grew up in the church, and uh, I mean, my our, our last name is Church. My grandma's last name is Deacon. So I have lots of uh, pastors and church people in my lineage. And um, so I grew up, my family actually went to the Salvation Army Church. Um, and my grandpa was a, a pastor in the Salvation Army in uh, Pasadena, California. And um, so I grew up in the church. And, um, you know, like, like Lizzie, I, I uh, kind of, one way or another, you know, kind of adopted this kind of legalistic uh, view of, of who God was. And, um, you know, but at the same time, there was, God was always very close to me. And even as a child, I would have visions and dreams and um, I always felt just very much in the arms of, of my father. Mm -hmm. um, but what I was, you know, it, it was kind of a conflicting, like I, I definitely had a relationship from a very early age. And I learned that a lot from like uh, some really amazing women in my life, like my, my grandma and my great, my great aunt and my mom. And, um, and they just kind of taught me this like nurturing, um, just very loving uh, side of, of, of God's character, um, that always carried me through. Um, and so, oh, sorry, a little notification. Um, and, but so, you know, it was just kind of a, a gradual, uh, re a reorienting of my understanding of, of who God is, um, from my theology and, and stuff, but his relation, my relationship with him was always really, really strong. When and then you, when do you realize the legalism left? Yeah, it's such a good question. I, I well, uh, the, the truth is through music. So I, I'm a worship, worship leader and a worship pastor now. And um, which church are you a worship pastor at? I'm at uh, Sunset Presbyterian Church in, in Portland. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, leading worship, even and Lizzie and I went to a little Christian school and I would lead worship for chapels and stuff and um, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> but uh, that's when like the overwhelming sense of peace and love would just kind of flood over me and um, and so and it's always been, it's still that way it, it's always you know that way for me it, whenever I feel the presence of God in music it's all the legalism and everything really did just kind of fall away. And I just, that image of, you know, Mary and Martha and being at the feet of Jesus, that's always the image that is really just true for me is just, I just want to sit at the feet of Jesus as long as I can. Um, so, you know, like, like Lizzie, we both kind of grew up in it and have that kind of firm foundation, but yeah, but we both chose. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, which leads me to my next question. So now, you know, you that was your childhood. Then you're married. You're as a couple. Do, can you recall any defining moments of as a couple where you said, "We're, you know, this is who we are. We're going to serve the Lord." Or was that? Did it just? Was it just organic? I mean, do you have anything that goes with that at all? It was definitely organic. As you know, like we, I wouldn't have dated him if I didn't feel that he was a like he was a true Christ follower. Like it was organic. There was never a question. That is how we would raise our family. That I, 
there was never even a question for me. What about you? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I agree. <laughs> so what I, I one, one of the things I wanted to, I think that's really amazing, actually, by the way, that you both were raised in with similar backgrounds and that you have both chosen, but that you also both just expressed this experiential love of God as a father. You both used that word. Yes. So yeah. I think that mm -hmm. is, um, and you use the word nurturing. Mm -hmm. And and while you're worshiping, you sense his presence. So um, one of the questions I have for you is, what are you seeing God do through his church as you work as leaders? Now, I know, I don't know if you have a formal title, Lizzie, but you are working alongside Phil and you see the church. You guys have been there for a while. You've been in different Christian communities for a while. But what, do, what are you seeing God do through his church as you work in it? Um, have things changed a lot in the last decade that you've been working? Um, what do you see as young as young people? Can I ask you guys how old you are? <laughs> I'm, I'm 32. So I'm younger. 31. Oh my goodness. You're <laughs> so, okay. I know we still feel like kids really, even though we are. Kids of our own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, what do I feel? I like, I've been in ministry now in various capacities and and like like you said you know it's definitely a, a partnership um with us um for about 10 years now and what's changed i mean i feel like you know the i've seen the church um in lots of ways uh become more intentional about kind of reaching out to people at the margins of society and um really kind of uh you know, in recent years, I've seen the church really shining light in our community in very like practical, tangible ways, whether it's through like food banks and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly right, but um, You've seen it broaden. You've seen the church broaden. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen people, uh, uh, have you seen more younger people come to the church? Yeah. I mean, my, the demographics of, of, of our church is, is, you know, it's, it's spread around. Um, we'd love to see more younger people in our church. I think, I mean, <laughs> I don't know that it's been, I don't have a, like a great answer for that because I wish it was, I wish there were more and more younger people coming to, to church. Um, so. But is it something um, I think that where that question stems from is there's research out there that talks about how uh, younger people are choosing the opposite of what you two chose, which is mm -hmm. to walk away from their faith or to not be a part of organized church religion, things like that. So I'm just wondering if you have seen that in, in real life or do you think that's just maybe over-exaggerated? I guess, to be honest, we are a part of a community and we've been friends with these people for like 10 years. So we haven't personally seen any of our friends choose to walk away from the faith. So mm -hmm. I can't really speak to that. I have not personally seen that you know, but that's just in my circle. So I don't think I can really speak. Well, to what is it about? Tell me about the characteristics of the circle of people you're talking about. I guess just friends that I've had the, my entire, you know, 
the, the whole time I've been a mom, we've all been in church together. So I guess the question that you're asking, I have not seen personally. What so about I guess you, Bill? Have you seen that? I mean, yeah. I mean, the yeah. <laughs> There's. Uh, I feel like people uh, our age seem to get their their fill of uh, Christianity or whatever their 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 walk mm-hmm. um, through ways that are I guess less traditionally uh, like what we what we grew up in um, in church. You know, I still think that you know the local what church. What do you mean by well, that? Like, like I mean, an example. It's especially tricky during this pandemic season because I feel like we kind of uh, can kind of curate what our, you know, our who's who's our favorite pastor, and yeah. so we'll we'll just like listen to that that person's podcast and or and then who's who's our favorite worship group or it's Hillsong or whatever. So mm-hmm. then I'll get, I'm getting my favorite. This is the best worship, mm-hmm. and then the community aspect is, I don't know whether people feel like they're getting getting that from uh, their social media or something like that, but it's like people are kind of curating this, like <laughs> um, what typically has been uh, experienced in church and a local church, and they're just kind of taking little bits and pieces from uh, various media sources and Right. I don't know that it's... isn't this interesting though that that Lizzie just said a few moments ago that that isn't her walk right that isn't her experience so clearly you made some decisions along the way to stay connected to community so yeah. you are intentional about and you mentioned that that having the children has helped yeah. um, but how do you stay connected to the church because you're, because you're, I mean, yes, you're leading worship, but that's just one piece. Um, you know, do you just, are those the people who you are living life with? Um, is it your neighborhood? Is it the school? Um, you know, you're obviously not pulling out of it is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard, but I, I feel like what you experience in the church is a, a community that is unlike any other community because of it's not supposed to be just all people who think and are and look exactly the same as you are in the exact same age range as you, yeah. you know, there's, you know, old folks, there's, you know, <laughs> young families, singles and all that um, represented there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what keeps us connected to our church is that, you know, there's all those different kinds of relationships, which are, are vital to yeah. different areas of our walk. Absolutely. And, and, but Lizzie, you could, you could choose to just have all those needs met online. Oh yeah. I do not. Okay. So what is it, what is, what does the day look like for you to not just be online? I mean, really, how do you maintain your friend, your spiritual friendships? Oh, that's such a good question. I'm actually not on social media. I've decided to not, I don't have any, I have like a Facebook just because I think it's nice. If I have a baby, I can put it on Facebook so people know, (laughs) but I really, I don't know. I guess my community, it has to be intentional. I'm not great at phone calls because I have four screaming children, but it's an, it's like, it has to be intentional. I have to be checking in with people. I have to be going out of my way for me. it's, It's just texting or calling right now because, you know, I, I am trying to be, you know, careful and um, aware of like social distancing, but, but checking in with my friends and making 
like choosing to be intentional is how I stay connected to my community. Because it's an example of what you ask them when you, I mean, I know this might sound crazy, but I have people say to me all the time, uh, whether they're in my classes or their peers or they're younger than me, they say, um, I can't seem to have genuine friendship. Oh, interesting. Mm. So you ask, you're saying, what do I say? Yeah. Like, what do you, yeah. What do you say? I genuinely, if I like, I genuinely, sometimes people just come to my heart and I try really hard to listen to that prompting. And I will genuinely say, you've been on my heart. How are you doing? And usually there's something going on. So that's (laughs) That's a great open door, right? It's like, I I try really hard to listen to that prompting because sometimes I've ignored it and there's been something big and I just, you know, I, I ignored the prompting and I missed something in someone's life. So I feel like just intentionally checking in, asking them pers- like personal questions about what I've known they've been going through or how there's, you know, this certain child is doing or something. I think it's just about being really intentional and checking in on others right now is something that I can do. I can't volunteer in a school. I have a baby. I can't, you know, vol- I really can't like do, I wish I could help, you know, in our, you know, church, like helping hands or something, but I can't, I have, we have one child who's high risk and we have a new baby. So this is me from home right now is trying really hard. That's all I can do is check in on people. If somebody's sick, I really like taking people meals, but that's, that's what I can do. And it makes me feel like it's something during this hard time. Well, I think in this pandemic, it's everything. Right. Right. Because that's one of the questions that I had uh, for you guys was just to how you see this epidemic of loneliness, right. That has happened during the pandemic. And you really talked about how you're, you're not seeing that in your direct community. Right. So we're not seeing loneliness. Yeah. Are you seeing I, loneliness? I, I like, I don't know how you could possibly not feel lonely. You know, like I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for myself. Okay. It's very hard to not feel lonely because, um, my house is, you know, like there's full, there's people all around me, but if I don't have my girlfriends around me, I feel lonely. Like it's something I really miss. So so here, no, yeah, that's okay. So, so you're, I don't know. You, um, you feel that even in the minutes of yes. someone who says we have good community. I mean, so yeah. I think that's that's really good. I think that's really honest. It's, it's true, and I think the only way to combat loneliness is when you're feeling lonely to reach out to others. I totally check agree. In on others. That's that is my advice, and that in that coping mechanism is just reaching out to others. Because what if they're lonely and you didn't send them a text? Like everyone's kind of, I think everyone's feeling this way. Right. And don't you think certain people just have the gift of initiative and others might struggle with that, right? Yeah, maybe. You know, so just side comment, Phil, what are you on the Enneagram? <laughs> if, if Lizzie's a one, I kind of want to guess, but I, I, I'm, oh I'm, yeah, you should guess, no, guess. Yes, 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 well, I fine. wonder if you're a four. Oh yeah. yeah. I've, I have, people have thought that about me. I think I'm a nine. I mean, I know. Oh, I'm an, okay. That makes sense. So you haven't taken the test or anything. I have, I have taken the test. I, and, and, uh, but I'm always second guessing myself, but no, I'm a nine. I'm a nine for sure. And that probably, probably is a characteristic of the nine. <laughs> the peacemaker. Yeah. The peacemaker. Oh, okay. I that that I identify well, really well, Phil, if it makes you feel good, I believe some of the research I've read says that they believe Jesus is a nine. Because <laughs> he's a mediator, right? That's so cute. <laughs> Actually, he's all the numbers. But he's uh, a healthy nine. He's a healthy nine, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I think you've kind of given it, but if you could give advice to young couples, um, you know, who and families who feel on the outside 
of the good Christian community or of the church? Like, what would you, what's, what's a couple of pieces of advice you'd give them? How do they get in? One thing that I would say, actually, but yeah. No, I think I I know. I think I know you're saying. Yeah. Um, I one thing that I've it's been put on my heart lately is, you know, as a mom with four kids, our church is 45 minutes away from my house. This whole online thing, it's been kind of nice when there's a new baby. So my advice is, when you feel safe, when church starts opening, when you feel comfortable, my advice is go to church. Like, Mm -hmm. don't the online thing is awesome for when we need it, when we when we aren't safe. But once you feel safe. If your church has put up these great, like our church has all these really great guidelines, I feel safe. And I've been able to take my children the last three weeks in a row, and it's been so good for them. They got to go to their class, yeah. and, but it's a huge effort. It's like, it's not easy to go to, to get out the door, but it is yeah. so life-giving. So my advice is when you can go to church and when you feel safe, get off the couch and go to church. That's, I'm speaking to myself here Yeah, also. yeah, yeah. No, I hear- I'm not, but that's that's my, that's my advice is just try to make that connection, try to go to church. There might not be that many people in there yet because it's COVID, but it's actually been kind of nice. Usually our church is really crowded and right now there's not very many people. So it's easier to make those small connections with these, like my, like my son was like, I played with so-and-so and I get to meet so-and-so's mom. Usually it's so crowded that I don't have any idea who we even talk to. So you can really form some deep connections right now when the church is so small, because it's starting to kind of grow back up again. That's what I'm saying. That's great. What about you, Phil? Any ad- advice for families? Yeah, I, I would just echo what Lizzie said and kind of back to one of your earlier questions. You were asking how I've seen the church change and it was kind of what Lizzie was saying sparked this, that there's just this real focus on on being real and not going through the motions in the church. I feel like there was, even when we were growing up, this kind of false, uh, you know, it, we're Christians, so we have to put up this like show that we're that we're really just great people and that we're wealthy <laughs> because we're Christian or or that we're you know uh we've got it all together because you know but that that's not at all what I'm seeing now. There's really a even a focus in the opposite direction just to be like, hey, we are followers of Jesus and we're broken people and we are like messing up all the time and so that's been really re- refreshing for me in the church community and I know like for people in in our age range it's like um they're they're seeing that that people are being more real and I don't know I I'm feeling that that you know that's that's my advice too is just get into a community you don't have to be perfect no one else there is perfect everyone's going through all sorts of crazy stuff everyone is feeling loneliness to some degree right now everyone's dealing with some sort of you know some sort of issue and you know just listen to other people's stories and I don't know I think that that's I think that's absolutely right. You, we, yeah. you, can't, you can't have genuine spiritual friendship without broke, without tears. I mean, it's just not possible. Yeah. So yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, and the fact that you have seen enough of this change that's occurred where we're not being legalistic, you know, and yet you're also saying, go to church. That's the house of God. That's, you know. That's a great place to be. There's blessing in that. I believe that for sure. So let's talk a little bit about music. 
for just a bit because I don't know, my listeners might not be familiar with your music um, and how God calls you to write and lead worship. Um, first, I want to hear about the kinds of songs that you've written recently, but also, um, well, let me ask you that first and then I'll jump into my second question. So when did you, when did you start writing music? I've been, I've been writing stuff since I was a, a kid, but, um, and I was in like, you know, rock bands and stuff like that in school. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've just really loved the experience of writing songs specifically for corporate worship. Um, and especially in the recent years, uh, with, I've kind of formed this awesome friendship partnership with our pastor. Uh, Pastor Steve Richley, where he and I are kind of in in lockstep on what he's going to be teaching on. Like right now, he's in in the Sermon on the Mount, and I really just I love um, kind of the the response of like this is what we're in. This is this is what our community is in together, mm-hmm. and being inspired from that and having something really just birthed out of our community and what we're all going on going through together just to write a song specifically for this time for this um you know for what we're all learning together feels so it's just fun it just feels like um hopefully I'm representing uh, kind of a collective uh wavelength that we're all on well it sounds you know? like unity it sounds like you're describing a, a collective unity that yeah And so that's one of the things I wanted to ask you both about, since you are on the front lines of leading worship here, look at our culture right now. It's so terribly divisive, you know, and we could blame all kinds of people and events and and things, but that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to hear is, you know, what is the role of worship in this current moment? Hmm. that's a easy question um <laughs> no, I think well there's that saying I don't know who said it but when you when you sing or when you worship you pray twice uh mm-hmm. that it, I think is really cool just to um when you uh, for me is always the songs that stick with me throughout the week um and if they're kind of elevating the sermon in some way, then you might actually remember something that the pastor said. <laughs> so it's like um, music is just so such a part of our everyday life. And so I don't know, it's like if we're praying some it when we remember songs and when we sing just throughout the day, it's like that pray without ceasing thing you know it's that's how I pray without ceasing I don't often remember to go into a closet and fold my hands and close my eyes and pray you know I'm just you're praying worshiping him so Lizzie curious you know you're living you're living in in the in a family where I don't know if your children are learning all the okay but you're living in a family where worship is part of the fabric of your everyday life um what would you say are the benefits of that? What are the benefits of watching someone? Um, do you guys write music together, by the way? Have you ever? No, the music is all Phil. I just, <laughs> okay. I just like it. Oh, really? Well, you know what? I don't even, there, everything is a benefit to that. I don't, 
I mean, we have the worship music on all the time in our house. Our kids know the words. It's really beautiful because when our daughter actually is, she really speaks that language and she remembers the song. She remembers the words. I hear her singing that in her bed at night when she's in there. I mean, there's nothing but positivity to take from being in just worship a lot. I feel like that is our, our home. So, I mean, I can only think of positives. I don't know if that really answered your question, but. Well, no, but see, the, the think about what we're saying though, you know, so the, so for young people, particularly or children who are struggling with. Yeah mental illness or, yeah. or loneliness or whatever it is, tr struggle in school. I mean, could the act of worship transform, you know, that hard? That's, I mean, that's what you're telling me. That's what you just Absolutely. said. Absolutely. Yes. I would 100% believe that. Yes. It's happened to me. That is, mm -hmm. there's so much beauty and, and healing in worship because you're meeting God, like you were face to face with God. It's just, yeah, it's healing. It's beauty because there's a song going on like that verse in Zephaniah three seventeen, I think it is about how the father just he sings over his mm -hmm. children and so there's from before humans were ever around before you know before the creation of the world God's been singing this song and so when we join when we mm -hmm. sing and when we worship it's like we're joining in this eternal song so to see our kids like um, enter into that, whether it's even if it's just them listening to it while they're sleeping, it's like, yeah, just a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful thing. Because even when there's so much to be divided on, I think we can all agree when you walk out and you see, you know, the flowers blooming and the trees turning green, that is beauty. And that's mm -hmm. where worship music, I mean, like that is who God was in the beginning. He created the Garden of Eden. And that's beauty. We can all agree that that is beautiful. And I feel like worship music brings you into that beauty that is God. And Amen. like you can be transformed. That's so good. And I, so that's why in, in one, in what you're saying, both of you is that your involvement in worship has kept your lives flourishing. Yes. Yeah. Totally. It's funny. We didn't even know that till you said it, but yes, that's exactly <laughs> That, that is exactly what we're saying, but it's like when you say that, we look back and yes, like that is, yeah, I mean, you when things are hard, that's what you do. All right. So tell us, Phil, what's the, your latest song that you wrote? What's it called? What's it about? How did it come about? Well, it's called, um, well, I'll be releasing it soon. So I, it's oh. called yours is yours is the kingdom. I'll send it to you. It, it'll be out in like a week, I think. And it's really all about uh well <laughs> i pretty much just took the lord's prayer and turned it to and put it to music so this isn't the one i saw on facebook a while ago this is a different one this is a different one but yeah maybe you're oh. thinking of there's um i write a lot of songs that are kind of based on the psalms um there's one i i wrote called his love endures forever i think that's um, the one i may have heard recently yeah. okay but this new song is called what now Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Can you, do you remember any of the words that you could tell us? <laughs> well, yeah, it's the Lord's prayer. So it's, oh, you know, okay, that's all right. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, I just, I just have been really amazed at that passage of scripture and how it kind of fits into the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus's message about um, the kingdom uh, of heaven and on earth as it is in heaven. Um, that's the whole message of the Sermon on the Mount is what he tells us to pray there. Mm -hmm. And he even says in, in that scripture, you know, um, basically saying like, 
you don't really know what to pray for. So, you know, listen, listen, but if you have to pray, you should pray this, you know, (laughs) maybe listen a little bit more. Um, But I don't know. I just think it's just a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. That's awesome. So you're going to send me a link that I can put for my listeners to hear this. Oh, it's not coming out yet. A week? Oh, it should be out. Yeah, it'll be out in a week. I don't know when you're releasing this, but yeah. Well, we would love to hear that. So just to wrap things up, and you two have been so good to talk to and so easy to talk to, um, what are your, what are you, you've been married 10 years? Did you say 13 years? We twelve this summer. 12 this summer. So what are you looking forward to in this next season of life? Next, next couple years. Any- wow, that's so interesting. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, we're you're like in the day yeah. to day. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Heads funny. down in raising children, like last, for yeah. Our, yeah. most of our marriage, right? Yes. So. We might be done with four kids. So we're kind of like looking at this, like, what will it look like to not have a baby? <laughs> and that makes me sad, but it also makes me happy. So I feel like we're kind of in that almost like a big kid phase. And yeah, that's what we're looking forward to, you know, like a kind yeah. of a new phase for us, too that's absolutely each other yeah well I can only testify that it only gets better so and it there's no I can't think of a greater gift from from the Lord than being able to have the opportunity and privilege of raising a family so yeah I agree so anyway well thank you for being on the show today and I cannot wait to hear some your new songs and to see your family growing even more so so thank you guys thank you for having us no, thanks for having us we love you pam yeah thank you, you have just been such a positive uh influence in our lives more than you know yeah. for a, a long time so you have we yeah. love you now now you're going to make me want to come over and hold those babies you should. <laughs> they're so please yummy. do yeah you are. <laughs>